Got your Bible apps, fire them up. Find 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. How many are ready for your turkey? It's not the subject of my message, but it's important nevertheless. How many, uh, I was asking before, how many deep fry your turkeys? Deep fry in the, the, the turkey. Deep, not many, there's a few. Not many. Uh, how many like to brine the turkey? Brine the turkey. All right. And that's before you put it in the oven, right? What other ways are there of cooking the turkey? Smoke. Anybody smoke the turkey? Oh, we got some smokers in the house. <laughs> oh, you can go to Cracker Barrel. Any of those in the house today? Say, I'm going out to eat. How many Chinese food? I'm going out for Chinese food. Oh. Praise God. Okay, everybody ready? First Corinthians chapter 13. I want you to notice with me the very last verse. That is verse 13. It reads, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest is what? Love. Now, I don't think too many of us would uh, have any problem with saying that faith and hope uh, are pretty important. I mean, they are of great value. Of course, we're saved by faith or through faith, the Scripture says. We're, uh, you know, we speak to our mountains in faith. Uh, we, we know that uh, we cannot please God without faith, right? Pretty important stuff. You need it for your prayers, your healing, your victory in life. Uh, if we were to talk about hope, uh, of course... Um, you know, life gets old pretty fast if you don't have an expectation of a better tomorrow, right? And hope is a confident and favorable expectation. And so hope is, is pretty uh, high on the value list. And so when the Scripture says here, or Paul by the Spirit says that the greatest of these is love, that's saying quite a bit. If you understand the great value and the great necessity of faith and hope, when you say, this is bigger than that, this is greater than that, then you're saying a mouthful to say the love of God, to say that love is greater. And so um, I think this is quite a statement. It's also a reminder for any of us that might elevate faith and hope above it. I tell you what, I've been stirred up about faith many times and will continue to be. Uh, the great need, the great importance, the great value, what it produces in our lives. And so there could be an opportunity for any one of us to get stirred up about some particular revelation and then uh, put love in a lower place. Sometimes through familiarity. Well, I know that. Well, yeah. That's, yeah, that's important too, but faith is what we need. Or what we just need, the, 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 hope of, the hope of the Lord is what we really need. Well, again, the statement says that the greatest of these is love. Can you see that this reveals a hierarchy, if you will, in God's gifts? 
Can you see that it reveals and shows us, again, we've seen this before, that some verses in the Bible are more important than others. Some we should give more time to. Some gifts of God are more important than others. So we should give greater attention and greater focus to them. If ever you find in Scripture, in the, in the Word of God, that certain subjects or certain passages are stated again and again and again and again, that should clue you in to the importance of that particular message. Right? Uh, sometimes I've, I find this uh, just in studying, reading the Word, something will jump out at me. And as soon as it does, all of a sudden another verse jumps out at me. And another one. And another one that I'll say the same thing. And I think, wow, I haven't even thought of this really. I haven't really given this much attention. And it's been there the whole time. In fact, it's not just an isolated subject or thought. It's all over the place. What we want to watch out for in our life, we want to avoid, is giving too much attention to the minor things and ignoring some of the major things. And if ever we go too long without um, giving focus to and mention of some of the primary elements of what the Christian life is about, we're going to miss it. And here, this is kind of a biggie. You see it? The greatest of these is love. Now, if the greatest of these is love, then what do we need the most? Then, then our greatest need would be love. What, what, what do people need the most in life? What is the greatest need? Well, it would be the greatest thing, and that would be love. Well, well, if love is what we need the most, then what's our biggest problem? Well, our biggest problem in life would then be the lack of love. Huh? So what do people need? What's the biggest problem we need to solve? It's a love problem. Huh? At the same time then, if you were the devil and you were God's enemy and you wanted to harm people, what would you go after? I mean, what, what would hurt the most? You know, like if someone's in a, you know, a physical fight, what, what are they looking for? They're not going to come and hit you in the shoulder as hard as they can. <laughs> well, they're looking for something that's going to do more damage, something that's more vulnerable. They're going to go for some, uh, you know, hit you in the throat or something, you know, or get you in the ribs. It's something that's going to that's going to cause a lot of pain. Well, where, where, where would the enemy hit us if he wants to take the body of Christ down? Well, this would be the area get you to ignore the importance of this subject. Get you, to, get you out of the love of God. Get you away from letting this surround your life and all that you do. Right? That would be the enemy's primary target. Is the love of God. Because, listen, he can read. He knows how important this is as, as well. And so, he wants to get it out of this. Get us out of it. What could uh, be damaged in our lives if we lacked understanding of and practice of the love of God. What areas would we fail in? Well, some of the things that come to mind immediately for me are uh, marriage and family. If we do not have the love of God in our marriages and our family life, uh, they're very on very shaky ground. You're, you're, you're going to be harmed in that area. And so any good, strong, uh, committed, thriving 
life of, of marriage and family has got to have the love of God being dominant there. Yeah? You, you guys are really quiet today. Like, uh, everybody okay today? You thinking real hard or thinking, what in the world is he talking about? I have never heard of this word before. Love. Uh, what can be destroyed because of lack of love? I'm telling you, your health can be destroyed. You can totally get sick and live a miserable, diseased life for, and it's directly tied to your love life. I'll show you that probably further as we go in, in, in Scripture. Your prayer life. Prayers are hindered through a lack of love. Yeah, some say, I'm praying and I'm believing and nothing's happening. This might be a checkup area because all prayers are supposed to be answered. Huh? All prayers 100% yes. When you're praying the Word, praying God's promises, it's always yes. So if it's not happening, something's wrong. Could be your love life. Many people die young. Their life is shortened and it's directly tied to love. All right, I'm throwing a lot of things out there right now. I'm not giving you all the, all the addresses, but we'll, we, we have time, right? Uh, your friendships can be demolished for a lack of love. Our, our, our church family, with an absence of God's love, becomes a mess. I mean, we've all heard of situations in churches, of course, not here, but uh, where, people were, where people had strife and they were divided. And you've heard of churches splitting, you know, and half the group picks up and moves on out because they can't get along with the other half, you know. How many know that's the work of the devil? Now, that's not God working in there. That's the devil working. And, and how many know he, the devil can't just come in and, and, and harm us, harm you, take your life, ruin your marriage. He needs cooperation. Yeah? And, and, and the cooperation, he needs you to get out of the love of God, get as far away from possible uh, uh, from God's love because that's what works every time. And so that's the way he works. What we're talking about today, though, is a very specific kind of love. All right, I'm not just throwing this word out. People use it in all kinds of uh, contexts. But what we're talking about is, in the Bible, it's a Greek word called agape. All right, A-G-A-P-E. Agape. That's how it should be pronounced. But someone told me once it was agape, so I guess I'll go with that. Agape. <laughs> Aga it's a, it's, we could call it this, the God kind of love. It's not a human kind of love. It's the God kind. It's the highest quality. It is something very specific. And so we don't want to confuse it with everything else we attach the word love to. Um, it, the God kind of love. We're not talking about sex. People call that, you know, making love. Well, that's not what, what this is. This will help that. <laughs> but, but that's not what this is. Um, it's not, when we're talking about love, we're not talking about accepting and embracing all manners of life, of lifestyle and, and people's choices and saying, well, we just love everything. <laughs> no, that's not, that's not agape. Agape does not say that. Agape resists some things. Okay. Uh, we're, we're not talking about, about emotion. Where, hey, I'm really feeling it today. Woo, yes, feeling the love. <laughs> 
cool, glad you're feeling it, but what about tomorrow? <laughs> you know, what about when you're not feeling it? We are not, we are, we are not limiting it to, to that by any means. I sometimes think of how we use different words. Uh, if I were to tell you, hey, I, I, you know, I got a new car, and, uh, and after service, I want to show it to you. And uh, so we go out to the parking lot, and you're looking for, for the car, and I say, here it is. Here it is. And I get up on it, put my, my, my feet on the, on the pedals. What am I, what am I on? Uh, I'm on a bike. <laughs> they say, what do you think of my new car? You say, that's not a car. Well, sure it is. That's my car. No, that's a bike. Well, I say it's a car. But it's not. It's a bike. Well, if you start calling your bike a car, then you're going to ruin the word for everything else. We're not going to know what everything else is because that's a car. Well, mine has wheels. Yours has wheels. They both go. They take us places. Sure, this is a car. No, no that, just call that a bike. Amen. I, I was thinking uh, of, of another way that words get get messed up. Um, it, we, many of us in here will say, I believe in Jesus. He is my Savior. And, uh, and someone else uh, would, might use the same word and say, I believe in Jesus too. But what, what if I came to you and said, uh, and you say, well, who's this Jesus? And I said, well, he's a guy. Uh, he was created. And he's, he's, he's one of many gods and he came into being when God the Father had physical relations with Mary. And, uh, and, and Satan is his brother. Uh, how many would say, no, you're not talking about the same person I know. Right? But the same name is used. And how many know, some of you caught on, that's a popular religion that's in our area that teaches all that stuff. They say the same word, different person entirely right? And so whenever we discuss words of any kind, we need to be on the same page. Well, I need to know what you're talking about. If we're talking about love, that can mean a thousand different things to a thousand people, but we want to know, what does that mean to God? If agape is the God kind of love, then I need to know what God says about this kind of love. Everybody okay? It is the fuel that makes everything go. Without it, nothing else really works. Nothing else is of value. It is pointless. I want you to look in the, uh, the same chapter that we read that 13th verse and look at the very first verse. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and notice with me verse 1. Verse 1. Though I speak with a thousand tongues of men and of angels, so different kinds of tongues, aren't there? Men, angel, men tongues, angel tongues. But have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. All right, now just imagine that for a moment. Some little kid uh, got a new present before church today and they're sitting right behind you. And it's a couple, <laughs> it's some little symbols and some things. And they're, the whole service, they're going, <laughs> all right. That's what you sound like when you don't have love. <laughs> You're annoying, man. <laughs> Would you shut up? <laughs> Would you go away from me? <laughs> Yikes. Uh, verse 2, and though I have the gift of prophecy... And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith 
so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am, what does it say? Nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And so by this description, if we don't have the love of God, our words are like annoying sounds. If we don't have the love of God, we are nothing and we profit nothing. I, I mean, if we were to, uh, to do it with math, it's like time zero. <laughs> whatever you add up in your life, whatever you're worth, you get credit for, you know everything, you have all this knowledge, you have all faith, you can do all these things, and then we multiply at times your love. And if your love is zero, that's the sum total of your life. Wow, it's, it's quite powerful to think, to, to think that the motive behind our actions determines uh, whether those actions are, are really anointed or they're just dead works. And, and, and to consider the fact that someone could work for God their entire life and yet get no credit for it because they did not do it from a heart, from a motive of love. If love was not the driving force behind it, God says you get a big fat zero on that. You don't get any credit for it. Wow. I don't want to waste my life, you guys. I don't want to do a bunch of things and think I'm working for God. I'm doing, I'm doing great things for God. But, found that, but find that I did them out of a motive that was something other than love. And that's how God relates to us. This is how we are to relate to one another. Many things are discussed about Jesus in, in his ministry on earth when he healed uh, the sick. And uh, sometimes people will say, well, Jesus healed people uh, to prove that he was the Son of God. Many theologians will say that. This is taught in churches. Jesus healed people to prove that he was the Son of God. And certainly Jesus' miracles did bear witness to the, to the reality, of, reality of who he was. But no, Jesus didn't heal people to prove something. If that were the case, uh, he could have one day when he went home, remember when he went to Nazareth over in Mark chapter 6, and the Bible says he could there do no mighty work, save he laid his hands on a few people with minor ailments, a few sick people, and healed them. What, what, what was the deal? Well, when he went home to that town, they said, you're the carpenter's son. We know your family. Who do you think you are? They were all offended at him. They were bugged that just Jesus all of a sudden a hot shot, and he comes rolling into town. If he was there to prove who he was, wouldn't that be a good opportunity to line up the blind people? Say, so let's line up the blind people, get the doctors to all examine them, make sure, prove everyone is legitimately blind. Then, then ready, ready, ready. Here we go. You want to know who I am? You think I'm just a carpenter's son? You think I'm just local boy? He said, let me show you. Boom, boom, boom. And watch the blind eyes go pop, 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 pop. But he couldn't do that, could he? Because their unbelief hindered him. Right? And so, so his, his, his healing ministry was not about just proving something. You see, why did he heal them then? Here's a great verse that tells us, Matthew 14, 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. You know why Jesus healed people? Because he loved them. He saw them. 
And he was bugged by their condition. He didn't like to see people suffering. And out of that compassion came the power of God. Out of that motivation, God could use it because God is love. And when someone is moved with that, moved with compassion, God goes to work with them. God will work in them. God will work through them. He will, he, he will turn us into vessels of, of, of demonstrating that love. Everybody okay? Someone says, I want to be used of God. I would like to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I would like to help people and have great power and great demonstration and, and, and have God move mightily through my life. Well, if you're motivated by love and compassion, then you're set up for that. When you see someone that's hurting and you're moved by that and you go towards them, you're moved toward, you want to help, now God's on the scene. I remember uh, not, not too long ago, I was talking with an individual. They, that person may be here today in this service. Uh, but I was talking with an individual right out here. And I was, as, as we're speaking, uh, he is very visibly in a bad situation, in a bad condition physically. In fact, his, his arm and stuff, his hand is shaking. His body is trembling. And, uh, and actually, his wife was holding on to his arm because he was, I could tell he was uh, conscious of the, the visible um, shaking that was going on. And then after a bit, he just told me, he, uh, he said, I, I just, I just want to lay down on the ground right here. I mean, right out in the main, lo main lobby in the hallway out there, he said, I just want to lay down right here. And he was just getting, he was just weak and, and, and couldn't, couldn't stop that. And my heart just went out to him. I hate that. I hate that in him. I hate that in anybody. Anybody who's suffering like that. And I know, it's the, I know it's the love of God in me that hates that disease. And hates that problem. And hates to see people suffering. And never think for a moment. Sometimes you see children that are born and they're in pain when they're born. I mean, how devilish is that? And God hates it and we should hate it. And in fact, if that moves you with compassion, good. Then God can work through you. Anyway, I was talk, talking to this, uh, that, that guy, and, and I, I just said, listen, I'm going to put my hand on you. I'm going to tell that to stop, and, it, and it's going to go for me right here, right now. And so I did. I just put my hand on his shoulder. I said, stop in Jesus' name. And just like that, all the shaking stopped. He, he, he looks over at his wife and says, look. Look. Because <laughs> all of a sudden, he could control that. And, and his, all his energy came back. And he's standing there strong. So what is that? Well, I tell you, is, it, say, is that faith? Well, of course it's faith, but it's motivated by love. It's the love of God that says, mm, we're going to see the situation changed. And this is what needs to be driving us. It needs to, it, it needs to move us to change. You know, um, the scriptures we read here, we didn't comment much about, about verse 3. He said, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor... And give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Generally, when we think about someone giving of their, their lives, their money, their resources, and giving to those who are without, you think, well, that's a wonderful thing. Uh, they are to be applauded, and we think very highly of them in society when someone is proclaimed to have given much to the poor. But there's a caveat to that. You know what it is. Someone could, otherwise why say this? You could give and get no credit for it. With God I'm talking about. Mankind might applaud you all day long, but God could say, nope, wrong heart. Nope, you get a zero on that because you did that for the wrong reason. Is that possible that that would happen? 
It, it does happen. Uh, how about if all of our giving is done just with the idea of tax deduction? <laughs> Now, I'm not saying don't take it. Definitely take it. <laughs> take the tax deduction. But I, I mean, I remember a guy a number of years ago told me about this business and da da da. He said, and, and if this can work out, I'm going to give this money. And it never worked out, and he never gave the money. And, uh, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a good chunk of something, but it was all about the taxes. Okay. You know, I mean, I'm not here to tell anyone what to do with their money, but there, there should be some giving that happens because of love. Our love for God, our love for his kingdom, our love for his family, his church, the ministry, for the people, it comes from that place. Huh? If we're never giving because there's nothing naturally that's attached to it, some type of tax benefit or reward, then we've got to watch out because in God's eyes we're getting a big zero on it. Everybody okay? You know, sometimes you see people hold the big check on TV. <laughs> You know, and they gave this big offering. Well, thank God. I mean, I'm not, I don't know the person's heart. Maybe someone made them hold the check, but I got to make sure I'm not giving and I'm not helping other people. And the whole motive for it is I get to be on TV with the big check. Makes my company look good. Makes my business look good. And so we're giving this thing. Well, you know, that could be someone doing something out of the wrong motive. Have you, have you ever read in the scriptures, in the book of Acts, in chapter 5? And it tells about people were giving to help those around them. And then there was a couple there named Ananias and Sapphira. Don't name your kids that. Uh, <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira. And what happened with them is they wanted to leave the impression with everyone around them that they were much bigger givers than they really were. And they, they, they proclaimed that their offering was one thing when it was something else. And they were in the midst of a move of God and power of God was present. And what happened is judgment fell and they died. Right there. Why? <laughs> because their offering was wrong. And so people do things at times and that on the outside they look wonderful. And they th you think, well, what a wonderful situation this is. Uh, but in God's eyes... It needs to come from a heart of love. Amen. Do we do things out of obligation? Do we do things just for the approval of others? I'm expected to do this. Or I feel required to do this. Or does it come from I love God. I love his house. I love his people. You know Jesus made some statements in regards to this in, in Matthew chapter 6. And, and, and in verse 2, he said, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Do you notice why he's saying this? Is sometimes people give and their biggest motivation is they want other people to know that they're doing it. And they want to sound a trumpet. Doo, doo, doo. Here we go. Giving, 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 giving. And they want everyone to think something special of them. And the Lord said, what? Listen, if anyone thought you were impressive, <laughs> hope you enjoyed that. Because <laughs> it's done. <laughs> That's all you're going to get out of that. But, 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 but look, look, he used the word as the hypocrites do. I think most of us would say that we do not want to be counted as hypocrites. Do you? I, I don't want to be called a hypocrite. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Uh, and that, for sure, that phrase and that, that behavior is condemned in Scripture. We should not be hypocrites. All right? A hypocrite is one, when you look at the root word, 
um, it's, it's like an actor. Okay, the, the picture is someone who's in a play or in a movie. In other words, they are one person, but they are pretending to be someone else. Okay, that it, it's acting. In real life, we don't want to be acting or just pretending to be one thing when we are something else. And so, uh, hypocrisy, again, is condemned. Uh, but true love now, the love of God... Listen, it's not just a feeling. It's not, well, I'm feeling it, and if I'm not feeling it, then this is not genuine. Uh, some will interpret the things that have been said and say, well, yes, I don't want to do anything that's hypocritical or fake, and so if I'm not feeling it, then I'm not going to do it. I don't want to participate in this. And, and because of that, they, they carry that over into, sometimes into even their marriage, into these relationships. And they'll say, well, you know, I'm just not feeling it towards my spouse anymore. And I feel like I'd be a hypocrite if I were to, you know, continue on with this relationship. Or if I were to say that I love them when I'm not really feeling it, that would be so fake to me and phony to me. You see how that's a great error? Do you see how when we define love, we must remove that kind of thinking from it? How many know Jesus wasn't feeling it when he went to the cross? If we are really operating in the love of God, we have to, we must not reduce this love down to a feeling uh, there are motives. Some, are, some of the, quote, feeling, it comes from the flesh and some comes from the spirit. And when someone is truly operating in God's love, they are going to act in ways that go contrary to their emotions. They're going to act in ways that go contrary to what they feel at the moment. And they are not being hypocritical. They are living by something that is of a higher principle. It's the love of God. It's better. It's bigger. It's better. It's, it's more pure. Everybody's sure quiet today. How many know marriage will be very difficult if the only kind of love that is present is the kind you feel? How many know people should not get married solely based on feeling? I just feel so good whenever she walks into the room. I feel it feel it in my hands and I feel it in my feet. <laughs> I feel it all over me. <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with that feeling. Listen, if someone feels, uh, you know, emotional highs and so forth about with being another person, if you ne have never felt anything with that person, you probably shouldn't marry them, right? But if that's the only thing a relationship is based on is I feel good about this, then that relationship is in trouble. It's totally in trouble because what are you going to do that day you wake up and the feeling is not there? What are you going to do when, you, uh, when they act in such a way and it doesn't make you feel good, it makes you feel like punching them? Huh? If, if this love that we are describing is defined that way, certainly uh, some of us have felt like punching people in the nose before. Why? Because they were rude, they were mean, they, whatever they did... But we decided, hopefully, maybe you didn't, but hopefully from now on, we decided 
not in a hypocritical way, to not act on how we felt. We decided in a genuine way that I am going to walk in and live in and yield to the love of God in me and that's going to be my deciding factor in how I behave, how I treat someone. Everybody okay? Love is tied to everything in the Christian life. Everything. And when it's not done motivated and in and through the love of God like we said before we get no credit for it in fact it will undermine the effectiveness of everything we do everything we do goes down to a big zero when it does not have this as its motivation let me read a couple verses to you in in, in finishing up here uh, uh, today first uh, John chapter 4 and verse 8 1 John 4, 8 reads, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Well, that's powerful. If a person doesn't love, what does it say? They don't know God. Well, I know God, and we'll see. We can make that determination by the love of God in your life. The 16th verse goes on to say, And we have known and believed uh, the love that... Uh, that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So we could probably take the word God in many situations and just replace it with the word love. You ever thought about reading scriptures and doing it that way? And love said and love did and love acted this way. Huh? And you're, re you're replacing the word God with love. That'll give us a better picture of who he is. And therefore, you know, kind of reveals who we are. We are love children. <laughs> love child of a love God. Means he is love and therefore that's what, we're, that's what we're born of. That's what we're made of. And if we don't know love, we don't know God. Turn with me to Galatians 5. We'll finish here. Galatians chapter 5. This is, this is vital that we set this up this way. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 6. Galatians 5 and verse 6. It reads, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. Uh, what's he talking about? Circumcision, of course, Old Covenant, Old Testament law required the males to be circumcised. That was the sign of their covenant with God. It was a part of the requirements of the law for them to keep. And in the New Testament, especially in the early days, there was a whole lot of you got to keep the law, you got to keep the law, you got to keep the regulations, you got to be circumcised if you're truly saved. And so they had to deal with that issue. And he's telling them right here listen, in Christ, the circumcision thing doesn't matter. It doesn't make one difference at all. One bit of difference at all. It doesn't matter at all someone circumcised. But what does matter is faith working through love. That doesn't matter at all. This is what matters. This is what avails. Okay? That doesn't avail. It doesn't produce. It doesn't cause anything good to happen. But faith working through love does avail. It does give us victory. If someone's having trouble living in victory in their life, 
what should they check on? Faith working through love. And have you ever met someone who seemed to say, they seemed to know the word, they could quote scripture, they seemed to be, have a spiritual air about them, but they were rude? They just weren't very nice, they weren't very kind, they're, they're, they're rude to people, and, and you think, ah, this kind of gave you the willies, it's like something's not right with that. Something's not right with this person. They have such great faith, supposedly, they're, they're so spiritual, and yet they're so mean to people. They're so uncaring, they're so rude. And that's because that's, that's correct. That's a right assessment. When our, when our spiritual life lacks this primary driving force of the love of God, then we're missing the main ingredient. Amen. We're missing the primary part of what makes the Christian life work. What makes this relationship with God work? What makes this relationship with others work? Could I encourage you today, uh, as you talk amongst yourselves, as you go wherever you go and do the things that you do this week, look in here. Look in here for compassion and love. It's God working in you. Look for that love to reach out to another individual. And you'll find that's what, that's what makes this thing work. It's that love that compels us to act, to speak when we don't want to speak, to be nice when we don't feel like being nice, to give when we don't want to give. It, it is the love of God that compels us when that is working in us. I mean, talk about a, a church that's got it going on. Man, you walk into that place, it is like love is in the atmosphere. <laughs> Amen. Love is in the air. It is, it is, it is it's the reason we exist. And, and if we're yielding to that, you guys, then we're doing it right. Then we're doing some things on a high, high level because that's where God is. Amen.